All right. Um, as we are uh, in verse 11 and uh, proceeding to the end of the chapter, we uh, know that we as believers are anticipating Christ coming back. We're not necessarily anticipating the time of judgment upon the unbelievers. We know that that comes with it. We don't look forward to that in the fact of... Um, unbelievers having to be, I guess you could say, destroyed in the way that that Peter mentions here. But we definitely are anticipating entering into God's glorious, eternal creation uh, that He has had. And and we just long for that. But uh, we don't relish the thought of the damnation of sinners. uh, But we do know that judgment is going to be done because God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. Now, chapter 1 laid a foundation... Um, we talked about our relationship to a living God, relationship to Christ, making sure that it, it is as it ought to be, you know, and making sure of our election uh, in the sense of um, here are the things, these building blocks that should be developing in our, in our lives. Chapter 2 then gave us a very clear insight into what we have to look for in assessing what people are saying uh, about the Word of God, as there are teachers or opposing, opposing as teachers or preachers and what have you, or writers. Chapter 3 then deals with the argument of um, the aspect of Christ coming back, the second coming. We see that false teachers deny that. Um, he hasn't come yet. Why would He come now? So... Um, in Second Peter chapter two, chapter three, we see false teachers. We see uh, Peter defending the faith, and now as the epistle is nearly over, and as the truth has been affirmed, he is concerned that believers have this proper understanding, and have proper under uh, not only understanding but responses to uh, this understanding to uh, to the return of Christ. How should we live now? in this present time. What are we are to do that? It's very applicable, uh, the way that he closes this uh, epistle up. It's like a final thing to say. And he wants to strengthen his brethren because you'll remember that um, Jesus, uh, not only he told John to... Um, to be, uh, you know, or, or like Peter, I think he'd said, you know, you're there to so you can strengthen your brothers, you know, and so there he is. He's doing it all the way up to the very time of his death. Uh, I think if you look at a uh, an hourglass and you see the sand in there, the time is slipping away. It might be the very last few days or weeks or maybe months if it's that long. He might uh, have that sentence of execution hanging right over his head as he penned this down. Um, so he wanted to make sure that everybody knew uh, and understood what he wanted to put on their hearts. So he has one further emphasis as he closes this last writing that he has out that's that's at least inspired here. And having made it clear that Jesus is coming, no matter what those other people are saying that He's not... Um, the, the thing is, is it's a very important issue. And he wants to make sure that this means something to you. Uh, what kind of person should you be if you're looking forward to that final heaven, that, that glory that's coming? Shouldn't it be a very strong implication of how we live now? And so that's really what he's hitting on. So let's, um, let's go into verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? These are really characteristics uh, of a Christian. These, uh, I think I've got about maybe seven, eight points on, on your outlines there. And it's just things that we are to be doing as we wait or anticipate His return. And one thing that He starts off with is being holy and, and godly. And, of course, we can only do that because of Christ Himself. We can only be holy because He is holy and He has poured Himself into us. He says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. He's been saying that all throughout this chapter. 
And of course, we've been in Mark. I didn't intend for all this to be happening. It seemed like we're saying the same thing over and over. Yeah. But he's going to come back and he's going to make a judgment upon this, not only people, but even the, the, the physical world. And of course, the, the whole idea of what the world is with all of the social elements, the political elements, everything that, that's there. But those elements, everything, and the physical elements, they're going to burn up. And he's going to destroy it with intense heat. Uh, it's going to be burned up in that way. If you look back in verse 7, sound familiar? But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So the present uh, heavens and, and earth by his word reserved for fire, destruction. What sort of people should we be? What sort? The idea there, is, the word is patapas, and it actually means astonishing, amazing, or, or excellent. What excellent way, how astoundingly, how astonishingly excellent you ought to be. He's not really giving a question and answer and that you have to give an answer here. It's obvious of what's being put forth. This is what you ought to be. You ought to be holy and godly. And if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, and this is the context of the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of for believers, uh, rewards and such. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, our very drive, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. And then it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That is not a judgment of you're going to go to heaven or hell based upon your deeds, obviously. Uh, this would totally be out of context with the rest of Scripture. It's not uh, a judgment uh, in that sense. We know we've already been judged. Our sins have at the cross for that. But here he's talking about the rewards. And we will all appear before Him. Even though Christ did the work at the cross, still yet what we do here matters. It really does. Everything's by grace, but at the same time it matters what we do. And I want to, as well as you guys, want to be before that judgment seat of Christ and to have good deeds to present to Him so He can say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not our own works of our own. It's works that that He's put in us and by His grace that we have been obedient and used that. And that's the idea of that passage. So there it's, while we're here, whether, you know, it's like if, if we're here at home now, this is our home here, we have a really a, a, a true home that we're, we're really going for. But while we're here, this is what we want to do and make sure as we appear before Him. So holy is uh, dealing with action. It's things you do. Um, it's the way I live my life. It's behavior. It's the duties that I have. Good duties. You know. um, godly is related to it, but it's dealing with the attitude or the, the inner person. Um, Eusebius is the word. It's the reverence that I have. The reverence you have. The reverence that you have for God in my heart. My motives. It's the inward part, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas holy is dealing with uh, on the outward part. You know the the action duty, so uh, so we take that concept of holiness and godliness in, in the Greek, the way that it's set up, and just spread out over all of life, just everything, and that's that's thought there. It's kind of hard to put it in the English of what that means, but I mean we know what that means, but I mean to put it in everything, and that translates to to our kind of thinking anyway, isn't it? holy and godly in whatever we do. First um, Peter chapter one verse thirteen and fourteen. You might remember that, and that was based on, again on his second coming, and it's dealing with holiness and godliness, something very similar. Peter just keeps reminding them of things, right? He says that over uh, a few times. Verse thirteen. Therefore, after he stated all the glories and everything that we have to look for, I prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
We have grace now. There's a future grace. Piper wrote a book called Future Grace. Something that will continue on eternity. But, um, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. So there he's saying, okay, prepare your minds now for action because of the motive that we have based upon the fact that Christ is going to come back and that grace, the revelation of Christ. And he says now he goes back to that present life. You're obedient children, okay? Don't be conformed to the kind of life that you once had. Makes sense, doesn't it? So what kind of people are we to be? Peter says here in this Second Peter passage, live in the light of unbelievable grace that we have. Jesus is going to be revealed in, in full glory. And in light of that, we want our actions, our, our mind, our thinking, our, our heart, our inner being. We want all of that in tune, don't we? Because look what we have to look forward to. Man, a lot to look forward to, isn't it? So, that's uh, the idea of, of 11. Probably more to that, but we'll move on. Verse 12. And, of course, here's the, the heart of this. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens, look at this again, will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. So the second point here, this is what we're to be doing. Holy now, godly now, at the same time looking, looking ahead, looking for. Um, it means expecting to be watchful, to be alert. Be expecting His return. Uh, the idea of expectancy, alert. Second um, Timothy chapter four, verse eight. In the future, there is laid up for me, as Paul writes, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Him coming back. I think that's all Christians, isn't it? That, in the sense that, hey, are, are we wanting Him to come back? I would certainly think that most Christians would want Him to come back. Um, at, at any rate, He's saying looking for that. Be expectant on that. And then He says, uh, he, he amplifies it, and hastening the coming of the day. Not only looking for Him coming back, but hastening. That's uh, the idea of an eager desire. Do you desire for Him to come back? Yeah. Are you eager for Him to come back? Would you like for Him to come now? <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Uh, I've heard several people, I'm sure you encountered this, but say that in some way we can, by our evangelism or whatever, this hastening part, that somehow we can actually cause the Lord to return sooner. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. saying that same thing. I think, you know, it wasn't a good choice of words. But, I mean, is that... Uh, well, he, he's already got it mapped out. Right. And it's not like he's going to come back any quicker than, than he... Because he's right. he's slow and he's patient. Right. I mean, he's not really slow. And we've already seen that in Second Peter. But he, he he's not slow. But he's had a promise. And, of course, the, the ones who he's elected. they You know, he can't come back before that time. But in another sense, but it's the way that we look at, and I think the idea behind the Greek word there is eagerly desiring, really wanting to see Him. You know, that, that we, how can we not want to see Him more and more as we learn who He is? Um, there is the sense of, uh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In His sense, He's not going to come back any quicker than what He's already counted out. But yet in the human sense, we can say, you know, He, he cuts days... Uh, cuts the day short. Uh, of course, that idea is different ideas on that. Right. But knowing at the same time, if we're eagerly desiring, in our sense, we're looking in that right way, knowing that we don't know when He's coming back. We would rather Him do it quickly. But yet we also know there are other people that He's going to save. The world is not our home. Right. Yeah. This isn't a, a really good example, but it's not bad either. It's like a couple that's anticipating their marriage, and they go through all this excitement of, you know, preparation, planning, 
arguments, whatever they have, you know, whatever they do in that whole process. But it's like they're hastening their wedding. They're they're eager. Yeah. You know, they're 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 on it. They have the day set. They're but thinking yeah. of it. They're thinking of it right up here all the time. The anticipation. I was here until one week before, and suddenly we were in the park over here. Yeah, I got scared. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? Cold feet time. You're not alone. <laughs> I am so glad that I didn't back out. You could have backed out, couldn't you? I embarrassed my wife. But it is a love story. You know, we want our, our bridegroom, you know, to exactly. come and take us. That's a good illustration. Because yeah. that's really what it is. Yeah. Yeah. He's coming back for the bride. Yeah. We we look to that. So we hasten in our minds. Um. But the word hastening makes it sound like it's something that you can do yeah. to make him come back there. Yeah. That's how some people would. Because that's really what the modern hasten means. And that's what this one guy, but I know that's he was not a, the Greek sense of the word. That right. He was an assembly right. of preacher preaching at Memphis Church. Don't ask me why I was there. But anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that was a long time ago. And they actually, he said, well, now some of us who uh, believe that uh, the early church, or the, you know, the, after the early church, they dropped the ball, and evangelism didn't go throughout the world like it should have been, and that's why it's taken 2,000 years, and the Lord still hasn't come back. We should have been hastening the day of the Lord. And, uh, and I heard it in Word of Faith circles, too, that we, should, we could hasten the day of the Lord. And so I'm glad you cleared that up. And if for some reason, it had not even occurred to me that God has elected to he's going to, and so he, <laughs> he can't close up shop, you know, before they're saved. So yeah. I don't know that it Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think houses of prayer would probably hold that sort of thinking. Yeah, we could we can get this in. Well, there are some people that think we can we we can bring the we need to be Joel's army and get this thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Right. Right. We can we can move it ahead. Actually, militaristically get it here if we just do the right thing. Even if it was meant for next century, we can do it this century. Right. That thing they had down in Texas, that prayer thing, um, where there were a lot of the. Word of faith and that sort of uh, yeah thing going on, and they had uh, that one governor who's the governor. Oh yeah, Rick Perry. Yeah, Rick Perry and all that. That was a lot of the thinking in, in that you know that we need to like hasten more of the kingdom by praying, you know, having this prayer rally, things like that. Some of those Dominion theology guys think yeah, that Dominion. The, yeah, some of those guys think that the Apostle Paul and Peter would be standing in line waiting to meet us. Well, he thinks we're going to meet them. Oh, no, we're going to be such big shots that the Apostle Paul is going to oh, be eager to meet us. Yeah. Well, Isn't that confusing, Bernie? <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. Oh. That's all good. Well, I think hitting on that on that Greek word, I think the idea is we want to be eager, we want to be uh, anxious in the sense, desirous that Jesus come. That's that's really the the idea of that I'm word. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and we're not going to we're not going to change his mind when that that day is. But it, it is good to know of. Hey, if you want to do it now. Coming back, Lord. <laughs> Come quickly. Revelation or uh, Maranatha. That's found in First Corinthians sixteen twenty-two. Uh, Come, Lord. Living constantly in desirous expectation. I think Paul looked at that point. Whenever you, you see some of the passages that he talks about, even Peter. Peter knew he was going to die first because the Lord had told him specifically. If you'll remember. And uh, it's whenever he's talking about John. Well, what about John over here? And he's you know. And then he says, "You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna die," uh, and he did. But uh, of course, John did too. But um, again, he mentions the heavens being destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. He keeps bringing that up. Uh, do you see the word? By the way, the coming of the day of God. The coming—that's parousia. Are you familiar with parousia? That's the presence. That's the a presence, and it's not an event. It's dealing with the, uh, a person. It's the person of Christ. It's the presence. I think that's the best way to put that word parousia. It's the very presence of Christ. Uh, it's not a presence of a place or 
an event, a time that's a person of Christ. And then it mentions the day of God. Don't want to try to get too dogmatic about this. There are different thoughts on this, and so we can move on. I, definitely, we're, we're talking about a time when we're with with God, we're with with Christ. Sometimes you you see a day of Christ, and you think of that judgment seat of Christ. I mean, that, that's in a in a good sense. It's a lot of times, when you think of the day of the Lord, you think of a lot of negative things happening. The judgments. I mean, it, it means that He's coming back, and the good for us, but not for the unbeliever. And I think the day of God is referring here to uh, the eternal state uh, where righteousness dwells. Um, and, and, you know, it's not anything to really press. It, it's talking about whenever He comes back and we're talking to Perusian being with Him. So global warming is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that is global warning. It is biblical right here. You don't have to worry about the hairsprays and all that stuff, folks. Just keep doing what you're doing. It's okay. <laughs> Because here's what really is going to happen. God is going to do this. Peter keeps mentioning it. Have you noticed that? keeps talking about this this burning up. And uh, I think that's something to take note of. Um, Right down to the elements. The stoicheia, the system, the social, the economic, the cultural, the religious. All of that is going to be consumed because he has a, a promise because of which the heavens will be destroyed, that there will be a new heavens and new earth. And we know about the new heavens and new earth. Psalm 65, 17, or uh, that's Isaiah, Isaiah 66, 22. Uh, oh my, Revelation 21, 22. Uh, the word new there, new heavens, new earth. Kainos is the word, and that's dealing with quality. Uh, not only something that is, you know, different, but it's new in quality. Uh, our new birth is the same thing. We have something there that's new, but it's the, the quality there is uh, much more than just uh, something that is different. I like the word right at the end of verse 13, but according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth, which we just spoke about, in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness dwells. You know what the word there for dwell is? And here's where the Greek defines it so much better than our English. Again, here's another word that we just looked at that one word and people can take that out of context like you guys pointed out. Make it say something that Peter didn't really even have in mind. What he's saying here is righteous dwells. That's good. But the word is oikeo. And it's even more than oikeo. You've heard of oikeo? That is like home or dwelling. Uh, it means to settle down. The, the word kat, kata, oikeo, kata is down. To settle down and make itself at home. To kick back and relax. <laughs> How can I say this? Right? To really feel comfortable. That's the idea of righteousness dwelling. It, it will be no longer a stranger, no longer a foreigner. Uh, it's it's going to be a, the home of righteousness, a permanent, perfect existence. Righteousness absolutely taking over and making itself at home with no evil in it. Chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Peter's been talking about that, right? There is no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, torn for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. And He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So all those things connected with sin, they're passed away. They're gone. Aren't you glad those elements are burned up too? But you notice here, God is dwelling among them. He's making Himself at home, we make ourselves at home with Him. Righteousness is dwelling there. Chapter 22 of Revelation, verse 20, right near the end. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's a hastening. That's a hastening in that sense. And that was stated like, uh, what, 1900 years ago. 
Maranatha? Uh, yeah, your yeah, um, and your your Corinthians uh, chapter sixteen uses that term too. There, yeah. So anyway, righteousness makes it home. Righteousness dwelling there. And then we go to verse 14 to our Peter passage. Therefore, and here's another one. This is the third one now. It's dealing with peace. Beloved. You like that? Therefore, because of this, beloved, since you look for these things, since you're looking for this new heaven, new earth, righteousness dwelling, be diligent to be found by Him in peace. Be diligent. Diligent means to make every effort. It's, it's got some work to do. It's effort. To be found by Him in peace. You're, I think we already have peace with Him. Like in Romans 5. We're justified. When we're justified, we now no longer at, are at war with Him. That war is done. We're no longer enemies with Him. All of that. Romans 5 really points that out. Romans 4, Romans 5. Um, but now it's talking about be diligent to live in the peace that He's given us. Like, no fear. No anxiety. We tend to, in this society to, to be anxious. Anxiety. Uh, have a strong assurance of your salvation. He wants you to live in peace. Even though the world is warring against us and the flesh and the devil... The reality of your Christian faith and you living in obedience and knowing that the peace that you have, every all is well between you and God. That's the kind of peace that He wants us to have. Um, the war is done. That was done whenever He saved us. And He wants us to live at peace with Him. And I think uh, we could also say peace with others. Peace with the body of Christ. Peace even as much as you possibly can with the unbelieving world, right? Don't you guys like that? In peace. That's a good characteristic of a Christian. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Right? Uh, and then spotless and blameless. Now, I think this counteracts chapter 2, verse 12 and, thir- or 12 and 13. Speaking of false teachers, but these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Look at this. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. Here we go. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. There they, um, as they count this as a pleasure to do what they do in the daytime, right? They're stains, they're blemishes. Stains, blemishes. Um, the idea of spotless there, as Peter words it, is dealing with character. And blameless is dealing with your reputation. Um, pure in reality. Pure in uh, in your reputation, um, untarnished. Now, there can be a sense that maybe we have a stain that goes back in the past, even long before we even became Christians, and that reputation could even be ruined in that sense. Even though it was before you even became a Christian, but still your your character is to be spotless, and it should be taken as you're blameless now. Um, uh, maybe you've been restored, but the scandal remains on. Well. You know, you can't necessarily deal with that, but there's this great hope of uh, what Christ does in us. And as far as He's concerned, He is here um, make us more spotless. And, blame. and one day we will have all the spots removed, right? But this, this verse where it says blame, you say it means uh, it has to do with our reputation. This is really directed to our relationship with Him more so than whatever... Yeah, with him we 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 are. You right. know, we're considered that. Right. But with people, they may on the outside they can they can judge us because of maybe something that is hanging there, or maybe they took it all wrong, whatever. Um, so, but as much as we can by by his grace to be spotless and blameless, you know, that's kind of the thought. Isn't there a command to wash your robes? Hmm. 
Is that a revelation? Uh, but, you know, I think there's a similar idea there. Right. And, and of course, Walk we do that by His power. Yeah. Walk upright before God. Right. Again, it's dealing with a holy conduct and such. Yeah. It kind of matches what He's said. Basically, what's in you is coming out one way or another. Right. Okay, moving on. Another uh, thought here is verse 15, and this deals with, uh, deals with evangelism. Um, all these things, this is how we are to live, right? You know, in peace and spotless and blameless and now uh, evangelistically, dealing with the people who are lost. Regard the patience of our Lord. Remember that? He's not slow about His second coming as Peter defends the faith because there are people still to be saved. He says that in chapter 2, verse or chapter 3, verse 9, the same chapter. Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So what do we have here? The patience of our Lord as salvation. He is patient in putting up with all the junk that's going on in the world because He has salvation in mind. Yeah, all the things that are going on right, right now in our world. Um, in other words, we're to be caught up in using the time that He's given us, the energy that He has given us, the, the gifts, so that we can show the purpose of God's plan, the purpose of uh, salvation. And so the Lord is waiting in that order so that He might still save some. So, He's made a promise. So it's not like we're to just to, uh, to put on our pajamas and sit on the roof till He comes back, obviously, right? Oh, yep, nothing else to do. I'll just wait till Christ comes back. And they were evidently doing that way back in the early church. Paul wrote in the Thessalonians, and some of them had given up all their jobs, sold everything, and just kind of sat up on the hill waiting for Christ to come. <laughs> Didn't do anything. You've probably heard some of those stories. Uh, we're to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. That's a ministry that every one of us have in showing that people can be reconciled to God, that they can be delivered from being an enemy of God, and God is an enemy to them. That peace can be made. And so we can reconcile them in the good news message that we have in, in telling them uh, that. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I don't want to store on time. But, oh, go ahead. Uh, uh, you know, I've heard people say, well, that's kind of more of an evangelist job. And I'm not, I don't really have a calling of evangelism. I've heard a, a minister that I respect a lot say that. And uh, I mean, that's really a cop out. It's really a small call. We're not all called to be evangelists, but we are all called to be witnesses. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think he's just uncomfortable, and that's an excuse. Um, my, um, that's one of the biggest things we're here on earth for. First of all, we're here to glorify God and worship Him, you know, and uh, individually and as a congregation. And um, But the uh, the aspect of evangelism is really important. It's right up at the at the top of the list, being able to show what the hope is that we have in us. And uh, so that's another thing I think that's real important. Second Corinthians chapter 5 is really good on this. Knowing, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. And this is right after he stated that there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ. That very next verse, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We want to persuade men. You know, we in ourselves can't do that. We we give them the gospel, but in another sense, we do because we have we have the truth. We want to persuade them with God's truth. We can't make them believers. God does, but it's nice to know we all have the same message to give. We all can say the same thing. It's not uh, anything special that one person has. Some have a, a a gift of being able to you know go to different people and in a way of doing that. But we all have that. You know, in us, we have different ways of doing it, maybe, but uh, this should rank highly to us. I think a Second Corinthians. I think it's in chapter ten uh, that I like so well. Somebody has used this recently, and uh, yeah, it's in chapter ten. 
verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, right, you know, we're here on this earth, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. And this is for every Christian. The weapons we have are powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Now, we have our own individual battles going on, but there is a war that people have against God and His Word and His truth. There are fortresses. All the things that we believe in, which are our worldly, our view we have a world view, and it's a biblical world view. And everything that stands for, for Christ, for God, almost all of those things that we believe in, the world counters with. Whether it be just an issue of life, where life came from. I, I mean, you can go on and on and look at our culture. And of course, the homosexuality, the thing that has now come out in, in Missouri University football where a man is being considered to be a hero. He's considered to be... Everybody is backing him up in something that is um, just horrible. Uh, uh, it's abominable. And, um, of course, God counts... Of course, any kind of uh, sex outside of marriage is considered uh, a sin. It's a... And, and that's horrible. Well, there it is. They're, they're not only uh, saying, well, that's okay. They're applauding Him all across the world. He is a hero now to all of not only the football world, but all the world. And people that would never say anything about it uh, or, or would be ordinarily of coming out against it maybe a few years ago are now uh, put in a position, if they say anything against it, they'll either lose their job, um, who knows what all, that will entail. So a lot of people have to go along with it. You guys know that story. I don't have to go into it. But that's that's coming from a place 30 miles from here. And this this is big news all over this country and the world. Now everybody's looking. There's more issues than the swimsuit edition. Sports Illustrated, I'm sure. I mean, it's, it's, on the, it's the next cover of Sports Illustrated. And that's, really? Yes. Just because of that right there? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, yeah, uh, well, I was just going to say, I remember a uh, something I heard on the radio once that uh, I haven't forgotten, that, and it may or may not mean anybody, anything to anybody in here, but it, it stuck with me. Um, and it, it's kind of like, you know, what you just told, that that particular thing that's going on now. Here's a similar kind of story from maybe two or three decades ago. I don't know when this happened, but and I'm kind of I'm generalizing, but there was a story about a, a young lady, teenage girl, who was pregnant and she was chosen to give a, a speech at the high school graduation or something like that, and you know they honored her and everybody applauded her, you know, and the fact that she was being strong through this experience and everything like that. But it was like at the same time that she was being honored, um, it was almost like a sweep under the rug or brush stroke that teenage pregnancy is now now being more... Well, or yeah. So you know, it, it, all these things have been on that same pathway, exactly coming down the pipe. It's <laughs> come, and and now it's getting even more. They should be disgraced by what they're doing instead of being applauded. Yeah, I mean, you know, not that you want to shame somebody in front of public, but still, it's just the whole mentality of turning things upside accolading things that should not be accolated. Yeah, turning up, turning our ethics and our morals upside yeah. down. Well, they're, they're normalizing. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's
and not say anything against homosexuality, but now you must actively endorse it, positively promote it. Mm -hmm. This is in the Justice Department. And now the Justice Department is saying that they're going to place people, they're going to have people in, in the courthouses throughout the land that are going to recognize uh, homosexual marriages in any courthouse in, in, in the United States where they have people, and, the, and that they're going to get their uh, insurance and, and the and, uh, federal penitentiaries, the homosexuals are going to get visiting rights and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know the next thing it's going to be, I mean, we, we've seen this coming, but it's here now. The next thing it's going to be is that the Bible is hate speech against all this stuff. And, oh, and, yeah, we're here. And, and so, I mean, yeah. this would just be a very, this, you I haters. think this would just postpone <laughs> it a little bit. I think this would only postpone it a little bit, but I heard a legal advisor on the radio, on Bot, I think it was, saying that if, if you're a church, you need to have it. You need to have some kind of written thing that it is against your belief to marry homosexuals, or otherwise they'll force you to do that. I think it'll come. It was a place where it'll come to that anyway. There was somebody that was already forced to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget where it was at, but I yeah, there was some some uh, uh, bridal place out mm -hmm. on the East Coast. Cake baker. Yeah, that's your business. You should have your choice. Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's the new it's the new hate the Jews. It's like it's just like hate the Jews and Nazis, uh, but this is the new it's, it's like it's like the signature of the Antichrist. It should be the most vile, uh, twisted perversion of the image of God is now the litmus test as to whether you are a compassionate human being or not. Hmm. They're not compassionate. Right. <laughs> well, here's what it is. There's the world thinking, and you can think on almost any issue, and you're going to be totally different from what they're saying. And that was just one issue. Those are fortresses that they build up. Those are lofty speculations. We have truth that is to penetrate in there, maybe going to individuals. You know, might be able to go to groups and stuff, but if we can go to one-on-one, -on -one, and just start hitting away with this is why this is wrong. Now, granted, it may cost a friendship. It may cost you know family relations or whatever. But when we get, get an opportunity, we don't go looking for ramrodding, causing trouble. But we want to get to those speculations. And whether it be the issue of creation versus evolution. There's another one. I mean, you just, it just goes on and on, doesn't it? So we want to take those fortresses down, penetrating with the Word of God and... Uh, th this is an evangelism passage as much as anything. We have weapons, and, and we're not battling against flesh and blood here. These people that we're dealing with, it's not the people themselves. It's what the enemy has come up uh, with, and it's not of the flesh, but we have divinely powerful enemies to go in and destroy these fortresses, destroying speculations, every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And that's part of evangelism. Showing sin, and whether we go right individually to that person, we can say, "But this is what sin is. This is a holy God here. We can start with a holy God. Start with a law, um, and and then uh, you know work with there. Who knows? You know, it may make people look at things, and then again, it may not. But we're still to be firing at those big fortresses, aren't we?" So evangelism, uh, the 16 and 17 in our Peter passage here is dealing with being on guard. And uh, I think we've covered that many times. Uh, it's kind of interesting. The patience of our Lord is salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, Peter mentions Paul here, our beloved brother, and he brings him in here right at the end of his little letter here, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. He wrote to you guys. How does this fit in with this next one? Being on guard. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of, the thi of, the, of these things, which are some things hard to understand, which is the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction. So, you know, and Paul had, had mentioned in many of his letters about the coming of Christ. And, uh, for instance, as, as he's been, Peter's been talking about here, and he had a lot of wisdom to give him. And he says in all the letters, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, and about the, the patience of God and, and all this, um, people were familiar with the writing of Paul. Paul wrote uh, 
in second, first and second, second Thessalonians were the first books that uh, I think they were earliest writings of Paul. And extensively in there you see the things about Christ returning and anticipating that. In Galatians, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, they all have passages anticipating the coming of Christ. In the prison epistles, you have Timothy's and, the, and Titus. Uh, there you have, or um, what did I say, prison epistles? That was pastoral epistle. Prison epistles are like um, Ephesians, Colossians, uh, Philippians, Philemon, right? And in there, you get passages dealing with uh, about the future glorious return of Christ. The pastoral letters, you get those too, anticipating His return. There are a lot of things that He says that are difficult, and for the future things, they are difficult, very hard to understand, especially for people who um, have been untaught that He mentioned here, or victimized by error. So I think a lot of it's coming in with that false teaching again. A lot of the things that come in where you have these Men described in chapter 3 or chapter 2. Um, and he says they come in and they distort literally. All the different things that Paul had out. And to distort means to take on a rack and stretch a person, to torture them. That's what they do with the Scripture. They stretch it out on a rack and they try to wrench the truth. They twist it. They, they torture the truth. And he says for people who... Uh, are kind of confused with this. Um, he says the untaught and the unstable, they're, then they're distorted out of this. And, uh, and he, then he says the rest of the Scriptures. And I think this is uh, alluding to Paul wrote Scripture and he was inspired by the Holy Spirit just like Peter was inspired. The rest of the Scriptures. That gives credence to all the things that he wrote and they had. So Paul wrote Scripture... Um, Peter's saying it here. And Peter's not saying, oh man, he wrote so much deep stuff, I can't even understand it. He's not saying that at all. He says, there are some things that are hard to understand. Are there some difficult things in passages of Scripture? We have to tackle them, deal with them all the time. Individually, together, you know, we wrestle some things that are that are tough. And, you know, we, you know, we try to get as much understanding as we can. But he's talking about the hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort and they do the rest of Scripture's own destruction so it makes it difficult for other people to understand. We're at the last one. Um, Verse 17, You therefore, beloved, again, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard. And that's that's the word that we turn. Be on guard. Be waiting. Right? And we say that all the time, don't we? Be be on guard for uh, false teaching. Be on guard. Be, Be ready, alert, waiting. So that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. So that's kind of how 17 ties in there with 16, dealing with Paul and even 15. The last verse, you ready? Everybody knows this verse. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Go back to 1 Peter 2. First Peter two two. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may what? Grow in respect to salvation. So what does he say here? Grow in the grace. He reminds us that we're going to spend our eternity with the Lord Jesus. And we need to be growing in grace right now and knowledge of Him, knowing Him. The verb there um, means to advance in the sphere of grace. Grow in the grace and knowledge. In the, we are in the sphere of grace right now. We have been. We, we are. And knowledge is the component that is in the growth. Um, it's the component of that growth. In the sphere of grace, then you have a component. We feed on the Word of God. That is how we grow. The Word of God. Communion with the living Christ. Praying. Prayer is so key. The Word of God so key. That's how we grow in our knowledge. And then dealing with each other. Communicating and talking. And we grow more but that. We get edified, right? Our gifts are meant for one thing. One thing, edification. To edify others. It's not for us. It's for others to edify. Grow in our knowledge. 
And so we're in the sphere of grace. And while we're in the sphere of grace, that deals with the failures that we deal, our shortcomings that we have. You know, we're still in that sphere of grace. Isn't that good to know? While while we're here on this earth, if I'm going to be on guard, I'm going to have to be increasing in my knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we don't ever stop. We never stop in growing in that. The verse 18, right at the end. I mean, this is one of the greatest things that we we recognize. And of course, I've seen the t-shirts you guys have been wearing, the pens that we have. Soli Deo Gloria. The glory of God alone. Right? Um, adoration. Worship. Praise. That's the idea of, of glorifying Him on to the day of eternity. We're to live for His glory. Paul had written to the Ephesians and said that God should get the glory. Christ should get the glory through the church. That means through us. We're to be the praise of His glory. So there's a marvelous truth all in here. And uh, this is a, a doxology. This is a doxa like we get at the end of uh, was it Romans 11? Right at the end of there. Um, I think we had a Another one that sometimes at the end of epistles we'll, we'll get those. Um, all of it belongs to God, God alone. Jude. Jude, yeah, there's a doxology there. Doxa, glory. So we should live in adoration, in in doxology. You are an instrument of praise. You know that? That's what you are. You're an instrument that God uses, and we are to be praising Him. The the very God of glory, the Christ of glory. He planned the day of eternity for you. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. A we have amen. an appointment. An appointment. The appointment is... Yes. And boy, don't... So, all of these things are characteristics of Christians and what we are to be doing knowing that He is coming back. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for this time. Thank You for this book, this great epistle that Peter has given. And it's very timely for us as we see the day growing closer. Uh, We desire for You to come back. Eagerly desire, but we know that You have Your perfect timing. And uh, whenever that is, Lord, we're okay with that. We are so thankful that You've given us the opportunity to live for You in uh, a time, and any time has been a time of sin for mankind. But yet, we have truth to give to a lost world, to people who are having lofty speculations. And may Your Word penetrate, because there are some there that are Your elect. And may we be able to get that Word to them and so that it would bring glory to You. And one of the greatest joys is seeing one come to Christ who was lost for every one of us here was there. Give us that drive, Lord. Thank You. Praise You. All the glory to You. Amen.